Hey, engine professionals, machinists, and enthusiasts, welcome to the Engine Professional Podcast. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of the Engine Professional Podcast. My name is Steve Fox. I'm here with my co-host, Chuck Lynch. Chuck, how are we doing today? Doing pretty well, Steve. I think spring has sprung. Yes, it has. Things are busy here at AERA. Um, Techline has been real busy here lately, so things are rocking and rolling, which are good for our industry. That's an understatement. Here lately, uh, <laughs> um, you know, with all the other troubles and so forth that we're seeing uh, globally, uh, we got a busy industry. So. Yes, we do. Yes, we do. Speaking of being busy, some industry news we got going on. I just sat on a round table with SEMA yesterday, Chuck, and it was a good half hour presentation they gave talking about the upcoming SEMA show and um, that it is going to happen. Things are going to be uh, in person at the Las Vegas Convention Center. They kind of showed the new convention center. It's really nice. It's big. So things are starting to move in the right direction to where it looks like SEMA is going to happen, uh, PRI is going to happen. So it looks like everything's uh, getting back to, if you want to call it normal. That's good to hear. I know some of the other um, conventions and so forth that uh, have happened. I think uh, even you said that they were pretty happy with the condition of the uh, traffic flow. Um, the rules and regulations that all went pretty smooth, right? Yep. I saw where somebody had a show out there last month, I think, and everything went smooth, uh, better than expected. And it looks like they got, uh, I believe, a construction show coming up here in the, uh, in the next couple months, they were saying. And it looks like it's uh, everything's on, on target and uh, ahead of schedule and things are looking really good. So they've got some new transportation there for everybody. So Really looking forward to uh, jumping on a plane and uh, getting out of town. <laughs> good to hear. Good to hear. <laughs> Speaking of shows, you know, uh, we also um, we do our AERA membership promotions at those shows. And for those that don't know what's included in membership, it, it's actually quite a bit. You actually get several manuals, uh, crankshaft manual. Uh, cylinder block, cylinder head, connecting rod, failure, flywheel, balancing, valve lash. What else, Chuck? Did I miss them? No, that covers that. Uh, you know the the flywheel manual. Uh, we're going to be that'll be the next one to come up. Last year was the balancing manual, which is actually a book on the procedures. Um, it also has the bulletins and so forth, but. It's uh yeah that was a great book that was a great book that we did that was very it's very detailed um it's it's great for balancing work why and, and you know an individual that helped us out with that was Randy Neal from CWT and we're we're in the process of trying to get Randy scheduled to come on our podcast to talk about balancing so that'll be good to have him on yeah always that's a great it's such great outreach you know there we can share stuff um, you know in our webinars and 
and but being able to have the open forum of the podcast and just chat about it it's a really like this it's a working well i believe yeah and you led right into webinars there chuck so uh we might as well give a little plug on our webinars where they're our past webinars are actually on our AERA YouTube page where you can look at our past webinars that have happened to get some technical information. There's there's some great webinars there on pistons and uh, valve seats and guides, uh, all kinds of things that are engine related that we get these industry um, experts, we'll call them, uh, come on and they talk about anything and everything that we ask them to. Absolutely. Uh, and, you know, we're continuing to expand that and grow that. Um, you know, just here soon, we're going to have uh, one on turbochargers, uh, failure analysis of turbos and, you know, kind of what they do. And that's going to be a two-part uh, presentation. So I think that'll be great to add to the to the list. So if you're, you're listening, uh, go out there and find us on YouTube. Steve, how do they get there? Uh, you'll search YouTube for AERA Engine Builders Association. And you can also go to our website at AERA.org. Scroll to the bottom. You'll see the little YouTube icon. You can just click on that and it'll take you right to the page. And help us out and subscribe. Yes, subscribe. Because we got some, uh, Chuck and I have got some things in the works that we're going to do uh, for YouTube. We're pretty excited about it. Uh, don't want to let the cat out of the bag just yet. But um, we'll definitely be doing something uh, something on their YouTube uh, videos as well. Another thing that Chuck does actually is Chuck goes out and does some custom training. And he has done that here, oh, probably the last month or so. Chuck, you've actually gotten out a little bit and traveled and visited some shops. So why don't you uh, expand on that a little bit? Well, Steve, when, when I came on board with AERA, uh, that was one of the things that we discussed that you know, I actually love to get into the shops and I have a, have some experience as being a service tech on equipment. And of course I've been, I came from the production engine rebuilder world, uh, been in a lot of shops all around the world. And so my experiences have been from, you know, again, equipment repair, uh, probably my forte is machining. So in getting out in these shops, just taking a look at, you know, what other options uh, are available to a machine shop with the equipment they have. If you want to, you know, step outside of just the engines. Um, so, you know, we can talk about that, um, some flow management stuff, um, critical quality type stuff for, you know, uh, failure analysis. Um, so, in just in the recent, it's been about, hey, what kind of things could we bring into the shop and uh, change the direction the shop is, is operating? I know it's a kind of a generalized answer, but we can support a lot of different areas. Well, it's nice you can get out there and do some training on equipment, um, various types of equipment or various manufacturers of equipment, not just one single brand. So it it gives the member, and that's one of the benefits of it, being a member of AERA. And I think you have to be a member, correct? Yes, you do. Must be a member yep. as a primary requirement. So we don't just send Chuck out to anybody. You have to be a member of our association to get that benefit to where Chuck can come and give you his expertise on uh, or ideas on machining. Or like you said, you have one coming up on failure analysis. 
uh, member called about, I think, this week on it. Yeah, absolutely. That That's the fun stuff. And the more exposed you are, the more opportunity you have to learn. I, you know, coming up through the 90s, uh, there were a lot of the engineering staff that I got to work with when they were more open to going out to shops and, and working with the engine rebuilders. You know, I, I was spoiled in that regard. I got to learn the the why behind a lot of the parts manufacturing and use that to my advantage. Uh, seen in a post about you no know, crankshaft polishing, and you know if you're polishing a thou off of a crank with a fairly aggressive belt, what's that doing doing to geometry? I probably wouldn't have given that much consideration if I hadn't had the opportunity to work with some of these engineers over the years, and they get they got deep into the nuts and bolts of the how and the why stuff works. So you know now that I'm in the seat. I love the opportunity to go out and share what has been handed to me. You know, can't take it with me, so I might as well share it. Yeah, you mentioned fun there. That's one of the things about even working on the tech line, you know, because the phones ring, the emails come in, and it's always a different thing every time. It's not the same redundant thing over and over again. Each phone call that comes in is different. Each email that comes in is different, and it brings different challenges to to us on the tech line to try to find the information or fix the problem or give them some suggestions to the problem that they're having. Right. You know, and our staff has different expertises and, you know, we pass that ball around based on the people's expertise. And that's, that's key to having a, a good functional team that we do have here is those differences in our um, experiences. Well, speaking of the tech line, we're up to our tech bulletin that we want to talk about, Chuck. And looks like this one's a little uh, lifter caution on a Nissan. Right, Steve. So uh, TB3102, uh, it's a mechanical lifter caution for the 2001 through 16 Nissan Infiniti with a 3.5 liter engine. Things are not always as they appear, uh, although the lifters look basically the same. There's quite a difference in the height from the pad that contacts the valve tip to the area that con that would slide against the cam lobe. So that said, there are different part numbers um, for the intake and the exhaust lifters. And to complicate things further, there are 29 different thicknesses available from like 310 thousandths to 330 thousandths. So again, just more things. That's uh, where we were talking about in a previous podcast where you, uh, you know, measure twice and cut once. <laughs> um, if you have the opportunity, and I know that it doesn't always lend itself because people bring you stuff that's been torn down already, but mark things, keep track of where it's at and uh, save yourself some real headaches so you don't have to go out and buy all of these lifters because I'm sure they're not giving those away. <laughs> oh, I'm sure not, especially nowadays. Uh, <laughs> if you got to buy 29, that's, that's, that's been not really a good thing. <laughs> well, Chuck, that's great information. And I think uh, if you're ready, I'm ready. We're going to jump in today's topic on engine break-in.
Okay, Chuck, engine break-in procedures. AERA has a nice little pamphlet here on break-in procedures for remanufactured engines. So what we're going to do is we're just kind of go through those a little bit and kind of give people, our listeners, some insight of some things that they should think about or precautions they should look at, and then we're ready to break that engine in. One of the nice thing is, is, you know, this engine's been assembled to precise standards and we want to properly take care of it. You know, that they're both the customer and the engine builder. They both have a mutual respect in this engine. They both want it to perform and provide a long service life. You don't want to build something or buy something that's going to go out there and blow up or kick a rod or throw a bearing or whatever, you know, have a valve guide stick or valve stick in a guide or whatever in a short period of time. So you want to make sure that you're doing things the right way once you've got that engine built and it's ready to go in the vehicle. So to start, what's what's some of the precautions they should look at? Well, and to that, Steve, I think uh, there's an old Benjamin Franklin saying an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. Um, so, you know, to, to to kind of get into this very first thing is pre-lubing. There's the pre-lube when you do the assembly, but also as you're getting ready for the install, um, whether it's a oil pump drive or a pre-luber -lube, pre uh, tank, pre-lubrication, and especially since we've seen oils changed and zincs removed and all of those things, definitely put strong emphasis on making sure that lubrication is there. Very much so. Uh, it's very important in an engine is to make sure that things are lubricated correctly and, and there's no issues there. Probably one of the next things we'll, we'll talk about is you want to make sure you got the proper air-fuel ratio. Uh, in today's engines, that is pretty important. You know, some are carbureted, some are fuel injected. Uh, obviously, the carbureted engines go way back. You want to make sure that your system has been gone through, looked at, uh, rebuilt if at all possible. You know, it's important on some vehicles where they modify some of the air intake or fuel systems to make sure that everything is correct. You definitely don't want to have a problem in that system because that's kind of the the first thing that's going to hit it is that fuel and the air and all that stuff coming together, you know. So you, you want to make sure that those things are are gone through, remanufactured and adjusted properly to make sure that everything is working good. Uh, another area in that same thing is the manifold and cylinder head mating surfaces. You want to make sure that the manifold matches up to that intake side of the head correctly. You know, you don't want to have a little gap at the bottom where you can suck an intake gasket or something like that. You want to make sure that things are machined correctly and that they bolt up correctly. Right. You know, you mentioned carburetors early in that. I think uh, something that's underappreciated, there's still a lot of carburetors that are used. People are doing the vintage stuff. There's still a lot of carburetors used in, in the racing world. Very much so. Absolutely. And when you have throttle shaft wear, in the bushing wear and you think, well, you know, for the people who don't use carburetors, does that matter? Well, you still have an opportunity for a throttle plate or, um, you know, there, there's some of those have multiple, uh, plates that would be for high RPM, low RPM, um, management of the intake air. 
well, those bushings can wear too. So, hey, this is not just a carbureted engine type thing. These still can, these are ancillary components that can cause you grief. And the guy in the machine shop may not touch that stuff, but in preparation for that first time you put fire in the hole, make sure that all that stuff's good too. Because that engine, just the cylinders didn't wear out or just the valve seats. All that stuff's been right. running for a long time. So exactly. So, you know, kind of moving on, um, that's that's gonna be huge in the uh at looking at maybe ignition components, uh coils, uh, you know, things of that nature. Um, are you trying to save a buck and buying a, a spark plug that wasn't really designed for that inch? It'll fit. But with these high energy ignition systems and today's in they're being built and designed around iridium plugs and things of that nature. I could still buy a copper plug, but that high energy ignition system is going to destroy that in short time. So an answer prevention, you know, is a pound of cure. <laughs> um, you know, you can definitely spending the appropriate dollars for the appropriate part can be that prevention. Kind of a pay me now or pay me later type uh, scenario. <laughs> For sure. <laughs> you know, as Chuck mentioned there, you want to make sure your plugs, uh, you do have the correct heat range and the gap by the manufacturer. You want to make sure that that gap is correct. And kind of along those same lines, you want to make sure that your vacuum lines are properly routed and connected to the appropriate fittings. In the older days, that's pretty simple. There was maybe four or five lines. Now there's... You know, there's there's all kinds of lines running across there that you want to make sure that you got hooked up correctly here and there and um, make sure that everything is going to the correct appropriate fitting. All right. And uh, so another, another area that, you know, take a look at is um, the thermostat um, exhaust controls. Uh, if if they have for like crossovers, those things are temperature regulated. So EGR is not used as much today as it was in um, 80s and 90s. And then, but then it came in, it can, came into the diesel uh, world. So some of these things that kind of sound dated, uh, they're getting a, a new life. Uh, what comes around goes around sometimes. As Steve had mentioned earlier about the intake manifold, the, the surfaces being very critical. Also, if you're reusing a manifold in today's age where we have tons of engines that are known to have valve seats to fall out, you definitely want to make sure you don't have any gremlins stuck in the goo in the bottom of an intake. <laughs> no, that's not good. <laughs> uh, another area that should be definitely looked at as a precaution and, and is very important is now we've got this engine and it's going to get up to operating temperatures, it's going to get hot. So we want to make sure that your radiator uh, and all those hoses are, I would always say, at least on the hose side, Chuck, I would replace those. Uh, it's it's a small invest, kind of like what we said earlier, pay me now or pay me later. Uh, but radiators can definitely be uh, rebuilt, record. Uh, we actually have a member who does a great business in radiators out in the Las Vegas area. He is, you know, tons of pictures of doing radiators and 
and getting that done and making sure that there's no restrictions because those restrictions cause one thing, overheating. And you definitely don't want to overheat your brand new engine once it's been rebuilt and you got it in the vehicle. You definitely don't want that to happen. So you want to make sure to, I would just say, replace the hose lines and get your radiator checked out to make sure that everything is good, as well as thermostats, you know, probably just replace it. It's it's not that expensive, in my opinion, to just get a thermostat and stick in there, one that's working properly and has the correct opening temperature. I think those little things will definitely, you, you've got this engine, you want to make sure that the water circulates and it keeps the engine cool. Absolutely. One of our members in Massachusetts and I were just having this conversation this week. He was talking about as difficult as things are to get to now. You know, don't take no for an answer as a machine shop. If, if they want you yeah. to build it and the guy wants you to reuse the water pump because it didn't leak before. Well, you know how it is. If it's mechanical, Murphy's always lurking around the corner. <laughs> so, I mean, as many parts as you have to take off in the amount of hours. Yeah. Buy the water pump, put the new hose exactly. on. So, yeah, a couple hundred bucks will save you a couple thousand down the road, you know. Exactly. You know, and, and that takes us on to the to the next key point, you know, filters, filter elements. Um, so many engines have fuel systems or something that's that has a hidden filter in it. So, be you know, be cautious of that. Um of course, you know, many of the filters are, there may be baffles and valve covers, some filter element that needs to be changed there. Again, as I said, fuel systems, especially in the diesel world, um, they'll have multiple filters along the way from anything that's a small micron filter to something that's basically a rock catcher. But uh, you see this with a uh, variable valve valve timing and so forth as well. There's little filters in the engines to help uh, make sure that any particulate carbon formations uh, that they don't end up sticking a solenoid valve or variable valve time or something. So give all of those consideration, um, you know, even away from the engine, uh, things that get neglected or like cabin air fuel filters and so forth. So sometimes they're out of sight, out of mind and, you know, but uh, they all have a function and make sure that they're in tip top shape. If you're going to go into the invest back into your vehicle and if you can control that as a machine shop, you know, you're investing in your reputation to, and we know people can be a hard sell, but still, you know, just more protection for yourself and them ultimately. Well, Steve, you know, we talked about the precautionary measures. Uh, now let's kind of start down the path of the break-in. And that said, I kind of led in with the precautionary measures about pre-lubing. Definitely, before you put fire in a hole, now you're making cylinder pressure, you want to pre-lube. And I know that we take the calls and I came from an environment where I watchdogged that and I quite frankly raised hell about it often is don't shortcut that. I don't want to have cylinder pressure coming up on those bearings and no oil between those because it's difficult to do now because of crank driven oil pumps 
uh, I think we we see it as a pass to not do it. Uh, I put good lube on it when I assembled it. Don't think like that. We have so many members from Melling to Silver Sill to Goodson. You know, all of these members, they have these pressure tanks. We don't have to put ourselves in that situation. Protect yourself. It's inexpensive. Sure, it takes a little time and trying to get the right fitting. It may be a little bit of a pain, but it's worth it, guys. I mean, do it. Yeah, I really can't stress that enough. Like that's the most important thing uh, when you're going to, to, you know, the precaution that we talked about, your break-in, you definitely want to make sure that the oil has gone through the system and you're not doing a dry start. Uh, that seems to be where most problems occur. For sure. You know, back to the cooling system, you know, like now that we're ready to break it in, we want to fill that cooling system up. You'll probably have to add a little coolant or water down the road. Uh, once that engine has been running for a little bit. So one of the things we've got here in this brochure is never add cold water to the cooling system while the engine is running. The engine should be allowed to run at normal operating temperatures to get that water and coolant going through there. And usually we'll just say add, uh, I'll say warm to hot water or antifreeze if anything is required, more than likely it will be. So one of the things we've got on our notes here is just don't add cold water. Right. Now a lot of a lot of folks are using the coolant management systems that have a tank and the stuff's under pressure because it's, it is more difficult with modern engines to just, Hey, check the purge tank and dump some coolant yep. there. Things don't work like that so much anymore, but keep in mind that, Hey, we have people working on old stuff to new stuff and everything in between. So they're just good, good rules to follow. Another thing in Boy, talk about the topic. We could talk about this for two days straight. Um, <laughs> exactly. You know, when you start the engine and run it, um, there's there's so many issues with lifters lately, with flat tappets. And there's some fingers get pointed every direction. And But one of the things that, that, I, that I hear a lot is, you know, folks will, they'll start an engine and they'll hold a sustained RPM and, you know, that's, that's not really a good thing to do because once that crankshaft is in rotation, that camshaft's in rotation, if they're at a constant RPM, the oil always leaves that part in the same trajectory. So it may not be really flinging oil on the camshaft well. So, you know, you definitely, you'll run for a little bit to, to look, to set your timing Make sure that you don't have any massive leaks or something of that nature. Um, and then you it's best to start surging the engine. If you let it set at a constant RPM, then again, that trajectory, the oil's leaving the part, may go to an area that's not really too beneficial. So just that revving the engine, that surging is good at, at getting that oil splash to, to help you. So in this time of all the flat tap it, uh, lifter failures and stuff, you know, definitely want to throw that in as advice. It's a challenge. That is one of the things that you can do very easily. It doesn't take a lot of effort on your part to surge the throttle. <laughs> right. And another thing, once you've got that engine ran for a certain period of time, you know, you might have to make some adjustments, you know, readjust the lifters or, you know, one of the things that we see a little bit on some of these later model engines uh, and even in some industrial stuff is you have to retorque that cylinder head after it's ran through that cycle or the manifold. 
you know, doing that, just making sure that everything is sealed properly and torqued correctly. It's pretty important. I had a guy call the other day and I think it said uh, torque to certain foot pounds, run for five minutes and then let it cool and torque again or something like that. So uh, there are engines out there that do require you to retorque that cylinder head and manifold after the engine has been ran. Right. If you look back in history, it was pretty common to have hot lash adjustments um, mm -hmm. and you would retorque, readjust the lash and so forth. And, and then the gasket company started making, you know, like, let's use the term generically permatorque. Hey, I don't have to go and re do the retorque. But then all of the dissimilar metals and construction of the parts have changed. And then you're seeing again where they're recommending retorques, readjust or verification of that after so many hours or cycles or whatever. All right. So one of the things that once we've got to to the break-in and we've done any hot lash adjustments, let's use that term, uh, get to the point where we want everything all tidied up and buttoned up, and now it's time to drive. Probably going to default to the owner-operator manual. In some instances, they, you know, I when I recently bought a, a new motorcycle, know still see some of that stuff in there and, and even in the modern area don't drive it over this many rpms at this mile per hour or so forth there was still some good definition of what you need to do and that's on a pretty new piece of equipment so it varies manufacturer to manufacturer so we can't really give great advice real specifically at this this point in this uh in this brochure but you know, that's basically, hey, do what the OE recommends for that particular application. Which kind of leads us into now the engine started, it's ran, it's in the vehicle, um, customer has it, and off he goes. You know, like like for a passenger car, um, even probably a truck per se, Chuck, you just want to drive normally, you know, not at continuous high speeds or under some heavy loads probably for the first you know, 500 to 1,000 miles, probably would advise you to not take it to a no prep race right away <laughs> and probably change your oil and filter, what, 500 to 1,000 miles probably? Absolutely. I don't think that, uh, you know, I would even do the 1,000 mile deal, you know, 500. Uh, that's it's pretty cheap insurance. Get rid of that filter. You're going to move some dirt around. It's just going to happen. Uh, and when I say dirt, I see, you know, machining, filings, so forth that make their way down. So, yeah, definitely 500 miles in a filter is uh, cheap insurance. The the truck engines, uh, so much of the stuff that gets remanned is, is livelihood. So people want to put these things back to work right away. Uh, you know, I remember building so many what we called runners running complete diesel engines for that simple fact that meant that the guy could buy that engine, install it and be back on the road right away because that thing had been tested with his fuel system, his calibration and everything. And it's very important, but his investment, you still need to educate him to hey, don't take that thing out and try to pull stumps and be lugging it or you know let's go find the biggest <laughs> hill and see if i can how high of a gear i can climb definitely want to protect yourself from lugging and 
bearing fatigue and stuff that you can set up right away because those things haven't conditioned themselves to one another. You know, uh, I wear a size 12 shoe and the other guy can wear a size 12 shoe, but they won't fit exactly the same. So we'd give those times, got to let that stuff break in. Don't make it hurt its foot right <laughs> off the bat. <laughs> And, you know, industrial engines, they're a little different than the passenger-type vehicles. You know, the, the, those vehicles, uh, cars and trucks, they definitely go by mileage. So the industrial engines goes normally by hours, uh, hours of use for that. So if it is an industrial engine, kind of follow the same instructions. You know, don't operate it under, you know, operate it under a partial load. For, don't go and take your bobcat and we're going to go try to dig as deep as we can right away. You know, it's like one of those deals where you just want to kind of ease into that a little bit, change that oil and filter, you know, approximately what, 20 hours, Chuck. Right. Right. You know, and check your bolts, make sure everything's still tight. Follow again, you're follow the manufacturer's instructions for any of that stuff. Uh, uh, new engine startup. It's probably in the service manual to where you can just follow it. They'll give you a step by step. At this, at twenty hours, do this. At thirty hours, do this. At fifty hours, do this. You know, it, it's probably in that service manual uh, that you should have, or hopefully have, where you can follow those step by step instructions. Or reach out to us, and we can help resource that information. Uh, yeah, because definitely in the industrial world, the heavy duty stuff, there are more specific break in procedures, even, but. You know, they give you more timelines on when you can go to the, you know, the next step uh, of abuse, let's call it. And uh, so that's all very important information. And again, if, you know, like an industrial engine, kind of like Chuck said earlier, if it's sitting there and it's broke down, it's making no money. Absolutely. Um, that should often be the decision making point of your services even you know okay do i really have to change the oil uh kind of like when we were talking about the machine maintenance okay hey 750 hours or whatever do i really have to change the oil then well or do you want to take the risk of uh replacing a 15 25 000 engine because i didn't want to shut it down long enough to change the oil uh, now it brings us to some of the fun part, Chuck, marine engines. That's getting us out on the water, having a little fun. Yeah, if you think so. <laughs> <laughs> my, da my daughter's in that business, and, uh, you know, that old saying, I tease her about it. You know, they always say that every boat owner's uh, two happiest days are the day that he got it and the day that he got rid of it. Um, but uh, they live a tough life. Um, so in the marine engines... You put them in a little bit different environment than than just driving around through the country. They're always under load, so it's kind of best to do some like bench break-ins. Maybe maybe you do set it in the water, or maybe you've got a big bladder. But you know, for the first hour or so, don't exceed two thousand RPMs. Again, like the traditional camshaft break-in, surge the engine constantly. When I say surging, I'm sure everybody kind of understands that rev, you know, a thousand RPMs to 2000 RPMs usually don't like to get it down to a thousand, but don't, don't get too high either, you know, for the second hour or so don't exceed 3000 RPM. Again, just the, the gradual break in type of stuff. And like Volvo's probably got some specification data 
again, that if you have a manual, maybe it's their owner operator's manual or reach out to us and, and we, we access that stuff as well. Um, so, you know, use your membership for many things above and beyond, uh, what you even think about sometimes, you know, cause again, that's, that's why we're here. We, uh, we gather all kinds of data. So when it comes into the break-in procedures, I'm sure that we can, we can help you out with that as well. Sorry, you say it, Chuck, uh, when you put that new engine in the boat, <laughs> don't go wide open and go wave jumping. <laughs> yeah. Props out. Kaboosh. RPMs out. <laughs> Well, hopefully we shed some good information and precautions and break-ins uh, of this new engine once you've got it remanufactured uh, and ready to put in the vehicle or industrial piece of equipment or boat or whatever the engine's going in. Uh, we just want to make sure that you you follow the steps correctly to make sure that that engine is going to last as long as it should. You know, and you do your part to do the best you can to make that happen. Absolutely, the it's. It's an investment, as we said, going into this, it's an investment on the customer side to keep his rig, whatever that may be running, uh, play toy, um, a revenue generator, but it also, you know, the machine shop sharing that information to help that customer do a proper check-in and, and break-in uh, not only protects him from warranty, but it's good for the reputation too when you provide not only the machine shop services, but the customer service. And many times that's education. Some people don't like to be told or they don't like to be told much, but we have to share information. It's, uh, you know, it's a hard sell at times, but at the end of the day, you know, hopefully they, they pick up on a little thing that, Maybe that bug nipping at the back of their ear. Hey, hey, don't over rev it. Don't over rev it. They may think about that before they decide to jump the wave or lug up the big hill. <laughs> Chuck, that was a great topic, uh, but I got to tell you, our next, coming up in our next podcast episode here, uh, we've got a special guest, and and I'm pretty sure we probably just got to ask one question, and it's going to take off from there. Um, so why don't you tell them a little bit about who our special guest will be on our next episode? So I'm sure if anyone is anywhere peripherally associated with the automotive industry, <laughs> You're going to know that Lake Speed um, is so capable. Um, he's he's technical, um, and he, he just totally loves what he does. But uh, at a heart, you know, he's an oil guy, and the he so he's going to speak to us about turbology. And uh, again, you know, we're just going to probably be in the situation we just turn the floor over to uh, to our brother lake uh, but you know he's going to tell us all about uh, the oils and and materials in relationships with other materials and uh, looking forward to that um, lake's always he's a terrific presenter and uh, 
Lake has a lot to say because Lake has a lot to say. Um, he knows a lot of stuff and uh, it's great to have him to, to always be helping us out in our industry. Yeah, I'm so looking forward to that. He He's very knowledgeable about oils. Um, and if you haven't heard him present before, like Chuck had said, at any of our conferences that we've had him at or webinars or trade shows or or anything like that, you're in for a treat just to sit there and listen to the two Lake talk. He definitely knows what he's talking about. Um, and like Chuck said, he's got a lot to say. And what he says is very, uh, very educational. So definitely looking forward to having him on. If you'd like to, uh, if you haven't already, and you'd like to subscribe to the podcast, feel free to do so at any of your podcast listening platforms. Uh, you can just search Engine Professional Podcast, and you'll be able to find us there. Hit the subscribe button. Uh, hope to have you guys subscribe and follow us along here. And you can also go to our website, podcast.engineprofessional.com, and you can listen to all of our past episodes there. If you have any questions or comments about our podcast or have any suggestions for topics you'd like us to talk about, please drop us a line at our email address at eppodcast at aera.org. Content is key. And with that, until next time. On the Engine Professional Podcast. Podcast.